are online with us, we're glad to have you here. We're glad to have you in person in the room. This feels so unfamiliar. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're gonna have uh, a kids' service where they all get to do stuff together. So it's a great opportunity to just invest into our families. And actually, today, I have some other exciting news that most of you don't know about or pay attention to, but it's just one of those things that happen in life. Today is actually our birthday. Today, Northgate is 30 years old. Yeah. Like, literally within a couple days. So, our 29th year was rough. We have testimony about it. We'll be able to tell our kids, you know, down the road. <laughs> 29 was hard. So, we're going to turn the corner with 30. Let's bring it on. So... Uh, today, we are starting a conversation about stones, <laughs> rocks, and uh, this was a lot of actually Pastor Kayla's idea from a San Francisco campus. She was like, what if as we walk up to Easter, we talk about rocks? <laughs> like, okay, how are you doing? <laughs> I know, the 29th year was hard. Um, and she's like, no, and then, you know, it goes off to like the very ending, you know, uh, ending with Easter of the stone, a big rock being rolled away, which is why we meet every week. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And, you know, she's, we looked, and there's all these different stories about stones or rocks throughout the New Testament and throughout Scripture that have clear representation of things. And, you know, said, we, let's have a conversation about that. So I was like, great, if you want to set up, like, which weeks is what. So this week, um, or last week, she sent me, and she goes, okay, here you go. I think this is the first one. Do this one. And uh, it was when Jesus turns stones into bread. And I literally responded back, I think, in a text message and said, what? You want me to talk for 30 minutes about Jesus turning stones into bread? So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going we're gonna to do it a little differently. Uh, we're going to do what's called an exegetical message where I'm literally going to talk about every word and a small amount of verses of Scripture. And we're going to break that down and see what we learn from this. So I will give you the end of the story now. Jesus doesn't turn stones into bread. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I know I'm like the movie spoiler. So this, this, this comes from Matthew 4. And this is a really important text. And this is where I want to start out and be real. We all are tempted by something. Right now, you are tempted by something. There is things that are extra tempting to you that you have identified. There's other things that kind of sneak up on you. And we live in this world that is geared towards temptation, like creating temptive moments and making you think you need something, our hearts and our minds. And here's the deal is that we need to realize as we get into this in Matthew chapter four, that Satan is real, sin is real, and we are all prone to wonder towards sin or temptation. And that temptation is just part of our life. For some of you, it's sexual or money or reputation or family. And some of you, it's a very, uh, a thing that's very quiet. That's not like one of these big name things. It's just kind of hiding underneath the surface. And so today, as we look in Matthew 4, I want to look where this is being set up from. And that starts in Matthew 3. And this is, as Jesus is actually starting his ministry, he is uh, being baptized and it says in Matthew 3, 17, that a voice from heaven, this is God, said, this is my son. Son is Jesus. This is my son, whom I love, whom I am well pleased. Now, this is really important because we're going to wrap back to this. But this is the, the setup to this scene in Matthew 4. This is my son, whom I love, whom I am well pleased. God saying to Jesus. So then Matthew 4, 1 starts like this. Then Jesus. 
then Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus for a minute. This is a beautiful thing that Matthew is doing and does from the very beginning of this book in the New Testament where he is declaring and making sure it is really clear the hero of all of these stories is Jesus. That what we're reading about when we read scriptures is about Jesus and his story. Oftentimes we can find ourselves trying to relate to it and making it about us and putting ourselves in there. And he's saying, no, 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 Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the reason we meet here. Jesus is the reason we're going to have a conversation about a big, gigantic stone in a couple weeks. And we read things like it's about us, but it's about Jesus. And that's exactly where he starts. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. I find this verse, one of the most fascinating verses in the New Testament. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, to which we say, what? This doesn't even make sense. Like, this is really happening. We think something bad happens to us. We often uh, go like some evils at work, but this is crazy. Check this out. Jesus was led by who? The Spirit. The Spirit led Jesus there. God put him there. Now, some of us were pitched this version of Christianity where it was like, hey, if you believe Jesus, everything's going to go really, really well in your life. It's going to go great. Your marriage is going to be good. Your kids are going to be wonderful. Your job, your bank account, it's all going to look good. And for some of us, this is the Christianity that we were pitched in, in these things that we do, like everything that we touch is just going to prosper, right? We hang on to Old Testament values too of uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Like we're just going to prosper. That's who we are. It's all going to be good all the time. I uh, saw recently a, a famous prosperity preacher, some of you guys have seen these on TV, was asking people to give a gift of generosity so he could buy a $54 million private jet, right? $54 million private jet. And is asking for this because he needs to go and bring the gospel to other reachable places in an instant, right? You look at his website and it says, you need to sow a love gift into his ministry. Now, here's what happens with prosperity and sowing conversation. Sowing language is, is this thing where we sow something into the ground and we put some water on it and we feed it and the sun gets there and it starts to grow. And at this point, this, this sowing language causes us to expect a what? A return, right? We sow something, we want to get something back. So if I give money, then God owes me something. This whole prosperity thing. If I'm a Christian, I'm never going to get sick. And if I do, it's uh, my fault or it's something that I did, but God's always going to heal me every time. God's going to make sure that you have everything that you need, all the money that you need. And this is how it's pitched to us, right? This is how we get comfortable. And this is why when we find a rocky place, you like that? I did that a stony place, right? It rattles us and, and, and starts to throw us off kilter because we're just used to this like lovey-dovey, comfortable snuggle blanket, right? A weighted blanket and it's just Jesus, but look at what Matthew does with Jesus. Look where it starts. And if you choose to follow him, we as followers, this is what happens. The father is first in Matthew 3, 17. He's going to declare that you are good. He's going to say you're good. You're his son, that he loves you. And then he's going to kick you out into the wilderness, baptized, kicked you out into the wilderness where you are going to be tempted, where your life's going to be wrecked by Satan, the devil, Right? 
That's, that's what he's saying. This is what you're signing up for. You're going to throw you out into aloneness, out into the wilderness to be really hungry, and then we're going to see if Satan can actually destroy your life. Who's signing up, right? That's what we look at. Like sign the dotted line. That's what you're signing up for when you're saying yes to following Jesus. And this is where we see Jesus actually leading. He doesn't go, hey, you follow me and everything's going to be all better. He doesn't start with that. He talks about how it can be and what needs to happen, but Matthew starts with this different setup. He says, hey, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to put you out into loneliness and wilderness and hunger when that happens, and Satan's going to come after you. And here's the first principle I want us to grab out of this, is that God has a wonderful and difficult plan for your life. Been there? (laughs) God has a wonderful, a beautiful and difficult plan for your life. So the first question when I look at this test that I would want to ask is, why? Why would the Spirit lead Jesus out to be tempted, where Satan was going to be allowed to just come at him? So first of all, I want to look at this word tempted right here. This word tempted in the Greek has two meanings. The first is temptation. This is what the devil is going to be doing, or the accuser. And the other word is testing. It's a a double meaning. This word is testing is actually how God uses things and how we gain character and perseverance and endurance is through testing and difficult things and going deeper and having nowhere else to look but up to him and to him for him to take care of everything in our weakness. And the devil uses this stuff in our life as well that's going on. So what does God want to do in this situation? I think right here we're seeing, and it said, God wants to test Jesus. He led him out there to be tested. In James chapter 1, it says that God does not tempt us, but he will test us. So he's doing the thing, this thing to Jesus. So we'd ask, why is he testing Jesus? Like, why is this happening? Why are you making it difficult for him? And Jesus is about to go on the craziest mission And the question is, does he have the character to withstand? Is he strong enough to do this? Um, You look at uh, other analogies and situations, you know, the Navy SEALs could come along and someone could be like, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And you're like, awesome, say this creed. And they're like, okay, I'm a Navy SEAL now. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't, that's not how it works, right? (laughs) They're like, you want to be a Navy SEAL? (laughs) We're going to lead you into the wilderness, buddy, right? (laughs) We're going to do some testing, right? And see what character is built up there. We're going to get half of you to quit. We're going to tear you down to nothing. We're going to see if you have what it takes to become stronger, to have the character, to get through the mission at hand. You're going to hold each other's arms and almost drown in the ocean and just crazy stuff, right? And you're going to put yourself through that and out of that comes something different. So for, for you kids in the room or you adult kids in the room, same thing with Batman, right? Batman was like a little teeny rich kid, right? In Gotham, he's a scrawny guy. You know, a situation happened in his life. He went off and trained for years and became a ninja. (laughs) Trained to be a ninja. And then he was tested there over years and years and years. And so when he was able to come back and fight crime and handle stuff, he was ready for the mission at hand because he had been tested. This is what uh, God is doing with Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. This is right off the bat. This is what he does. Romans 5 says this, we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, character. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to produce character in the person of Jesus. And that's what we actually want to do with you. That's what we need to be doing to ourselves. 
is to produce this character. And honestly, friends, this is causing me, especially in this season, to rethink how we do discipleship here. That's a big word, but it's a, a process of actually following and doing some testing, which creates endurance and character in a person. Usually, though, how we do it, honestly, is we soft sell it. We, we want to be a comfortable place, and we're a people in process, and people come in here, and we're like, oh, yeah, just be comfortable. Just kind of feel it out. You know, you don't have to really engage in anything. You can say hi to people, and give it a couple years. Maybe you'll take a next step. We know, we know what you're doing at home and at the job, and we see what you say in public, and, you know, no big deal, right? You're not changing. It's all good. You be you, right? We soft sell it. And we say, well, you're in like the Jesus cuddle snuggle area, right? You come to church and you wash it off and then you get to do one of these, right? In a couple years, we'll take a next step. But God's like messing this whole thing up right now. Right off the bat, there is no soft sell. There's no soft start. He's saying we're going to front load this thing in the very beginning so when reality hits, when everything gets rocky, right, when everything feels uncomfortable, we have been tested already and we're able to get through it. We find ourselves in a place like so many have found themselves over the last 12 months where we're trying to see, can this suffering that we've gone through and this shift of things actually produce character in me? Um, when, when I was, in, I was uh, younger, I had a buddy, he had like a two-year-old, and... Um, I was, we were hanging out in the kitchen area, and this kid was walking over towards the cabinet, and this kid was about to smash his finger in the, in the little, like, uh, the drawer thing, the sliding drawer for, like, silverware. And so, like a good person, I'm like, whoa, 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 right? And my buddy was like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. And he walks over there and goes, dink, and smashes the kid's finger. And I was like, are you a psychopath? Where am I? Who are you, right? <laughs> what is wrong with you? And he's like, no, 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 he won't do that again. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's a baby, right? He's got to teach him. Like, how's he going to know that you shouldn't, that it's going to crunch your fingers? You crunch their fingers. And that's what happens. I was like, you are a sick person. But there's an analogy here to making it into a message, right? What this guy's saying is, I don't want to be around to always make sure you don't crunch your fingers. I don't want to wait till you're in college and looking over and being like, how are we not going to crunch our fingers today? Yeah? You're making sure you're comfortable. Don't do that, right? He's saying, I'm not going to be all around you. The point is, I can't baby you your whole life. I have to prep you and prepare you and front load you to be strong enough to not only survive, but to accomplish the mission that I have you on. And a lot of us are experiencing what types of training we have done and how prepared we really are in these moments. What feels like we can still hang on to it. Instead of working uh, and, and getting to a point, we've, we've flipped things upside down in our process where we're like, hey, you've been around here or you're doing this Jesus thing. You know what? Down the road where you really arrive is a missions trip. I know. <laughs> Crazy. You go somewhere and you actually serve people who don't look like you, who don't smell like you, the downcast of, you know, the area. You can go at 2 in the morning. This is a big deal. I mean, this is really making it. We're talking years down the road. Show up at 2 in the morning at the Sparrow Project and do a feed on Friday night where you're going to get all the unwanted people of the community, where nobody loves them. Go there, and, and that, that's like making it, right? We need to front load it. 
You, you, if you've ever been on a missions trip, you've had this experience where you went somewhere and you're like, whoa, God is here. A lot of you that have traveled into other countries even or down into Mexico or on some of our Uganda trips, you're blown away because you're like, wow, like I just feel the presence of God here. And that's because that's where he's abiding, right? He's here too, but he is doing work out there and constantly inviting us that this is where the work is. You need to front load it and see and then go the other direction. I'm going to start with the mission strip. I'm going to start with feeding this and then I'm going to go backwards and I'm going to understand what grace and mercy and love actually looks like. So I have a question. Are you still asking God to baby you? Are you still asking God to baby you? That's the whole point. I think God will drive us into the wilderness at times and you're there and Satan's gonna see this as an opportunity to break us down in order and to make us the person that he wants us to be. But we tend to think, why would he do that? I don't understand. And that's why I wanna say this again. God has a wonderful and difficult plan for your life. So the next thing, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Again, why is this here? Why is this happening? Why is he being tempted? To be tempted by the devil, uh, this, this word devil right here means, uh, it's diabolus. It literally means accuser. It's used three or four times in the Old Testament, that, that specific verbiage. This person is called the devil, and he's an accuser. He accuses people of things. You see in the, the book of Job, he's uh, like in the figure of a lawyer and uh, constantly accusing, 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 accusing. And here's why this is important for us to understand who this person is and that this temptation happens and that this is real. Let me read to you from Revelations chapter 12 about what the accuser is about. One thing that we typically do when we see this word devil, we like think of it like a cartoon, right? And like a pitchfork and big horns and super muscly and just kind of funny, right? It's kind of a fun thing to joke around with. And we do this, but here's what it says in, uh, in Revelations. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, right? So right off the bat, we, we, we get this picture that the devil or Satan, he's a deceiver deceiving the whole world. You've maybe heard this, that the greatest trick that the devil could ever play was making the world think he doesn't exist, Right? That's what he does to you. That's what he does to me is to make us think that he doesn't exist, to deceive you, to deceive me so that we let our guard down. He wants to deceive you into thinking that there's no such thing as God, that there's no such thing as heaven, that there's no such thing as spirituality. It's just you. You're the sinner. You're the main thing. You're the main event, and he's the deceiver making us think that way. So the great dragon, the ancient serpent... Called, that, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. When the dragon realized, now this is apocalyptic literature real quick, it's full of a ton of imagery, we're not gonna get deep into it, but it's to uh, paint a point. 
When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down into the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now, this was a, a, a picture, an image that was very messianic, that this is where Jesus came out of, or this was Israel coming and fulfilling these things. And so the, the dragon, the devil now is pursuing this male child, and the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus Christ. So here's what we get. This is us. We might think, oh, funny, 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 Satan, devil thing, let's play around, you know, it's kind of fun to dabble in, right? Listen, he is at war. We need to grasp that. He is at war with us. He is a deceiver that's at war with you. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates your kids. He hates this church, right? He, he doesn't want any of it. He wants bad for you. And this is why we have to have a clear vision of what Jesus is dealing with. He is at war right now. So back to Matthew 4, we see that he is tempted. Every one of us needs to realize that we are tempted. And it's not always one of the big things that you can grasp onto. There's more subtle stuff in the ways that we're tempted. He's a deceiver. C.S. Lewis says this in this way in his uh, screw tape letters um, that he authored. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. A gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turns, without milestones, without signposts. When you say to yourself in a moment of weakness, of temptation, and you say, I'm not weak, uh, I'm not tempted, I'm really strong, this is where you can actually be destroyed because it's subtle, it's smooth, it's calm. Um, the way I can give you a really intense example is this, because I feel like we need it. <laughs> a couple years ago, they changed the way they slaughter livestock. So they used to, you know, we, we, we eat burgers and stuff, a lot of people do. Uh, they would, uh, livestock was a very, like, aggressive thing, the way that they slaughtered and processed livestock. It was, you know, like electric prods, and oftentimes the livestock would trip and fall themselves, and it was a very anxious moment. And so a lot of people really pushed forward to have a humane act put in when it came to processing livestock. And so they did that. So now what happens is when they're processing livestock is a cow comes in, and he gets to walk off into a chute, and there's food and it's soft at his feet, so they're comfortable. And then the, the gate that they're going in gets tighter to feel more snugly and comfortable, you know, that weighted blanket thing, right? So they're just having a fantastic time. They came out, it's soft underfoot, there's food to eat, I get a little snuggle. Then all of a sudden they wander down, nothing too sharp, turn, no big noise coming on, and they go and then they get their neck caught in the chute right there, and then they knock them out, and then they chop them up. That was really aggressive. They didn't see it coming. And here's what I wanted to say. You're the cow. <laughs> he wants to chop you up. He wants you to get out and be soft underfoot and have some food and wonder and all of a sudden, wham! You're getting chopped up. There's big stuff that we can see, but we can get into like the subtle things where the devil will just let you waste your life. 
or get really comfortable, right? And we say, oh, that could never happen to me. That, that never would happen to me. It's where it starts. It's soft. It's deceiving. And you have to keep your eyes out for it. You have, to, you have to see it coming. You have to be watching for it. Because if you're not watching for these things, that's when they sneak up on you. If you're not preparing for, if you're not protecting yourself. Okay, moving forward. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was, what do you think he was? Hungry. <laughs> I would be too, right? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. I'm sure he was tired. He was weak. Uh, an interesting for, thing for you to know is what is this, why, why 40 days? Why did he fast for 40 days right at the kick of this? It was actually a, a, a recognition in a process of a, of a double pro- prophecy piece where Jesus was actually reenacting the 40 years in the wilderness of wandering around that Israel did to then come into a new thing. And this is him uh, being successful. This is him setting it up for the future as this new Israel, as God's person, to make this relationship with God, a righteous one, into a new covenant. Because that old covenant was so you know, broken and messy, and uh, it, was, it was all over the place. And so he right here is representing, hey, here's the 40 days in the new Israel. I'm going to come in here and then going to be successful. So look at what the devil does. He came to him after fasting when he's his weakest. And my question for you right now would be for you to process when are you the weakest? I ask men this. It's more comfortable to ask men as a man. And oftentimes men will tell me, I'm the weakest, most tempted when I travel or when things at home aren't good or when I'm distracted or when I'm busy or when I'm tired, right? The tempter came to him and he said, hey, I'm going to get you at your weakest if you are the son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. If you're the son of God, you're exhausted right now. Tell these stones to become bread. I want to pause real quick in this son of God conversation because just moments ago, we looked back in Matthew 3.17 as he began this journey and we saw how God spoke to him. At first, I think it has two meanings here. One, I think this is a direct inversion of what he did, Satan did, to Adam and Eve in the garden. In the garden, he was saying to them, don't you want to be God? Don't you think you could be God? Don't you want to have all the knowledge? You could be a God. Look at what you could do. And this direct inversion that we're seeing here in this moment is, is him saying, do you really think you could be human? Do you really think you could put the God thing aside to go through this? You're God. You're not just going to float around and do these cool things, right? He shows up to where God says and says, you can't just be human. Look at you. You're weak. You're going to have to resist the temptation to be God when you're hurt and feeling the human things that you're going to be feeling. You're not going to get followers by weak, being weak. Who, who gains followers by being weak, beaten, and then put up on a cross? That is not a winning way to do this, Jesus, right? So, turn stones into bread. You're hungry if you are the Son of God. Now, what did God say about Jesus moments ago? He said, you are my son. 
He said that. He declared, you're my son. See what he just did, what the deceiver just did? He just took what God said about him, his identity, and he's questioning him about it. He's making him question it. Really? You're the son of God? Do you really think, you really believe if you are? After God just said, you are mine, I declare you, you are loved, I am proud of you. And friends, we deal with this every day. We deal with this identity piece every single day. That because of the gospel, it says that Jesus has done when you repent and you give your life to him, you become a beloved son, a beloved daughter, that God is pleased with you and you bring him joy, that you are a new creation, that you're forgiven, that you're forgiven because we sit there and we just have this thing rolling over us where Satan's kind of poking in being like, you're not a new creation. I know what you did last night. I know who you are walking in here right now. I know what thoughts have been rolling in your head. Oh, you think you're forgiven? You're a mess. You're a mess. You're not strong, you're weak. You're not new, you're old. And there's this constant tension in our lives, right? To believe what God has actually said about us and this identity that he's given us. So now Jesus is saying, And now he's saying to Jesus, are you really going to believe that God said about you that I'm not even sure that you're the son of God, but three seconds ago, God said, you're my son. And so it says, the temper came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So what does this mean? Stones to bread. I'm finally getting there. Sorry. (laughs) We're finally getting to the stones to bread. He's saying right here, stones. I want to take this morally neutral, everyday thing. Where did it go? It was right there, stones. We go back. I was pointing at stones. There you go. That thing. This morally neutral, everyday thing, and I want you to make it more important than God. This stones to God is actually idolatry. This is our everyday life. I want you to take money and make it more important than God, to think about it more than God, to to seek after it more than God, sexual relationships more than God, reputation more than God, all of your idolatry moments in life. What is your stones to bread that you're being tempted about, that just thing that's right in front of you, right? For me, um, sometimes, honestly, it could be my kids. For some of you that have had kids, where sometimes you feel like you can love them more than God, right? You, you put them up and you idolatrize them. You, you don't, you know, you have time for certain things that are comfortable, but we don't invest into eternal things and prepare them when life hits it, right? There's this common thing, maybe you've even experienced it, where you're one of those that you hung around, you did the church thing, it was soft, it was comfortable, and then later on in life, life hits you, Right? And then you started questioning the, the Bible and what does this look like? And it kind of get notched down as authority, down a couple of rings because you're looking at it going like, ah, I'm more into like what my feelings are and that has authority or my experiences, right? And then you wander off and you find yourself not really even part of the faith community and then life hits you weird or you have kids and it's like a wake-up call and you're like, ah, oh, I'm going back to church. You've seen this. Some of you, you've experienced this. And you're like, I need to get this root in me, Right? 
But in the midst of that, it's because we are idolatrizing other things. I think that was the right word, yeah. We're making an idol out of all kinds of other things. We're, we're taking stones and making it into bread because we're, we're not really interested in that mission at hand for our lives. We're, we're interested in pleasing ourselves, right? Making that better. And actually, if you look at it, it actually destroys us and can destroy the people around us, especially when we put our kids up on a pedestal, right? Or other people or other things up on a pedestal that's more work becoming more important than family or your relationship with Jesus in that investment. When you treat people or things like God and putting them on a you begin to actually destroy them. Because we compete, we sacrifice anything for them. You know, you find yourself, these other things, you're like, yeah, that now has become more important than a, a corporate worship experience, right? Jammies, watching at home right now, it's just gotten a little bit more comfortable and experiencing biblical community and figuring that out or doing hard work and finding how to do that from a distance, right? The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, and this is so powerful. Jesus answered, it is written. Is it in here? It might not be written on here. Okay, I'll tell you what it is. It's written. <laughs> it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's actually speaking from Deuteronomy when all this stuff happens. And what we see here is in the midst of temptation, what does he use in the midst of temptation? Not a feeling, not an experience. He uses scripture. He uses the word of God. That's where he goes. When things get rattled and things come around him, where do you go, friends, when you're rattled and things come up and you're in the midst of a weakness or temptation? Go to the scriptures. He's showing us right here that this is where the power is. The power is into the scriptures, not, not a sermon, not a podcast, not a church. It's the scriptures and that this is the authority. This is the power. And that's why it's so important that you're in them. So when you found yourself in this really weak place or where you're tempted and you're just at your end, right? You've got to dig into where the power is and that's in the scriptures so that you can be tested and refined and God can speak to you. And he even talks about how the, the word is like a sword to fight against those things that are coming up against you. And many, many, many of us have experienced that. And many, many, many of us have been staring at a bunch of stones, starving, hungry, tired, Saying, yeah, that looks really tempting to just turn that into bread. But man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil is always focusing, friends, on the temporal. And Jesus was like, there's way bigger things than what's right in front of me. There's things that are bigger, bigger. it's not so temporal as feeding myself this bread or changing it into something that I could. Eternal things, not just bread. And here's the crazy part is you could be fed, you could be well fed your entire life and still go to hell. He's saying there's a spiritual, eternal things at stake. That is why man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's what matters to me. Here's what matters to you. Here's what should matter to you what God says about you. That you are a son, that you are a daughter, 
that you are loved and that you bring him joy. But what the devil constantly says is, just care about the next 60 seconds. Just care about the next 12 days, the next three months. Just focus on that. Just care about that. Just make sure that you're comfortable. And you've got to say, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got way bigger plans than that. So some uh, conversation for you. You can knock out your phone right now. Pull out your phone and take a picture of this. If you're with us wherever you are or if you're with us here in the room. Here's some follow-up questions to kind of continue this conversation. It says, what do you really think God says about you? I want you to ask that, like, really? Have you, ever, have you ever even just sat in silence and thought, what does God really think about me? And have a conversation. Maybe actually imagine that he's sitting there right next to you in a room, right next to you on the chair, and say, what do you really think about me? I'm sitting here with just vulnerable. I mean, what do you, God, what do you think about me right now? And ask yourself, are you tired? Are you feeling weak? Where are you tired? What's causing you to be tired? Are you recognizing that so you can be on guard and see that coming? And then finally, what's your why? What's your eternal focus? Why are you a follower of Jesus? Why are you willing to sacrifice and give up everything? Why is it worth working at it? Why is it worth making time to be in community? Why is it worth making time to go on a mission trip? Why is it worth making time to go serve someone else? Why is it making time to go sit down with my kids and have eternal conversations with my children? your why. So as you process these questions, I think a, a really valuable thing to do in these moments, and I think as we get into the Word and we understand some of these things, is to respond in worship, which is in song, which is in action, which is a physical thing that we're doing. And you can do this really from wherever you are, whether you're in the room right here, you're at home in your room, you know, with your family, you're in your car, you're at your work, you can still respond in this moment. So I'm going to ask all of you to stand. We're going to sing a song in response to who God is, what he's done for us, how great he is. And then I want to come out here and I want to send us off with a blessing and, uh, and then we'll call that a wrap. So would you just respond and worship?